But good morning again. Welcome to New Hope Chapel's Sunday morning worship service. A little warning for you out there. It's well into pollen season, and this morning promises to have a few sneezes, coughing, and hacking. I'll get through the sermon as best I can. Well, my sermon this morning is somewhat different. It does not have a title, per se. I do, however, have a statement a question, and a challenge. The statement is, as most of you know, I am a trial attorney as well as a pastor. The question is, do you need assurance? And the challenge is this. Did Jesus actually rise from the dead? I'm going to take the available evidence to us as an attorney and present it as I would in a court of law. And I hope to prove that the resurrection is true. And to guide me, I will turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 3, and other assorted verses. So join me this morning as I pray in the spirit of Psalm 1914. So dear Lord, this morning... Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. I heard a story <clears throat> about a man that went on vacation to the Holy Land with his wife and mother-in-law. Halfway through the trip, the mother-in-law dies So this guy goes to an undertaker who explains that they can ship the body for $5,000. Or they can bury her in the Holy Land for $150. The son-in-law says, let's just go ahead and ship her home. The undertaker said, are you sure? That is an awfully big expense. And I can assure you, we do a very nice burial here. Well, the son-in-law said, look, 2,000 years ago, they buried a guy here, and three days later, he rose from the dead. I can't take that chance. It's difficult to know. You know, the man in that joke does beg a question. Was there a man 2,000 years ago that really came back from the dead? That is the question that does indeed beg an answer. You know, for some of my early life, I wanted to be a lawyer, and quite frankly, law to this day still fascinates me. I was always intrigued by gathering facts, marshalling arguments, presenting a case, or defending a client. And I really thought it was a very glamorous life until my eyes were opened. I came across some actual questions for witnesses from dumb attorneys that were taken from the official court records nationwide. I am not making these up. Just a few. For example, question. Now, doctor, isn't it true that when a person dies in his sleep, in most cases, he just passes quietly away and doesn't know anything about it until the next morning? Question, was it you or your brother that was killed in the war? 
question. I show you exhibit three and ask if you recognize that picture. Answer, that's me. Question, were you present when that picture was taken? Question, now Mrs. Johnson, how was your first marriage terminated? Answer, by death. Question, and by whose death was it terminated? Question, you say the stairs went down to the basement? Answer, yes. Question, and these stairs, do they go up also? Question, doctor, do you recall approximately the time that you examined the body of Mr. Eddington in the Rose Chapel? Answer, it was in the evening. I started the autopsy about 8.30 p.m. Question, and Mr. Eddington was dead at that time? Is that correct? Question, doctor, in the course of your practice, how many autopsies have you performed on dead bodies? Answer, all of them. Question, this was actually asked in my presence in court. Doctor, what form of examination were you conducting on the patient? Answer, I was performing a gynecological examination. Question, doctor, was the patient a man or a woman? I hope I can do somewhat better than some of these lawyers because today I am fulfilling a fantasy. I want to present to you the case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Satan and his world will raise objections to the points. And the judge will make appropriate rulings. Now even though Jesus himself doesn't need me to defend him, there is a lot on the line as to whether or not he was raised from the dead. And even a doctor named Luke, who wrote two books in the Bible, believed in a legal defense. He believed it was an order, as you're going to see. And I agree with him for this reason. Many people call Jesus a great man. Others call him a great teacher, and still others call him a great philosopher. And most everyone will agree that he was a great moral example. And I contend he was none of the above if he died and did not come back from the grave because he himself promised over and over that he would. The word of Jesus Christ, therefore his integrity, his believability, and his character is on the line. First, consider Matthew 16, 21, which states, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Secondly, consider Matthew 17, verses 22 and 23. And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day. And then consider Matthew 20, verses 18 and 19. Behold, 
We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him, and on the third day he will be raised up. And lastly, Matthew twenty six thirty two states, But after I have been raised, <clears throat> I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Now, Dr. Luke evidently was also interested in the law and in legally defending the resurrection because he says in our text, Acts 1, verse 3, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. You know, the Greek word, which is translated two words, convincing proofs, literally means a sure sign. And it comes from a legal term that refers to conclusive evidence that would hold up in a court of law. And so just like Dr. Luke did 2,000 years ago, today we're going to explore the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I believe this is a subject worthy of the most detailed scrutiny and examination for this reason. The resurrection is either the greatest fact or the greatest farce in human history. Two billion people in the world today have staked their eternal destiny and their entire lives on that one truth that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Yet for five billion other people in the world, the jury is still out. Let us explore the evidence for the resurrection. So first consider the question, why should I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. This morning, I want to give you four, which are in my mind, incontrovertible, absolute, conclusive reasons why Jesus was raised from the dead. Reason number one, his body was buried. Obviously, before Jesus Christ could come back from the dead, he had to be actually dead. And there are many today who say that Jesus really did not die on the cross. Many believe in what is called the swoon theory. And it suggests that either Jesus Christ fainted on the cross or perhaps went into shock and fell unconscious, but he really didn't die. It's just that everybody thought he was dead. But when he was taken to the tomb, the cool air revived him and somehow he got out alive. In other words, he wasn't resurrected. He was resuscitated. Well, there are several problems with this line of thinking. First of all, we are told in John 19.34 that just to make sure that Jesus Christ was dead, a Roman soldier thrust a spear into his side between his ribs and punctured the sack around his heart as well as his heart itself, causing a clear water-like fluid and blood to come out. This was medical proof in and of itself, that Jesus Christ died because the blood had already begun to clot and separate from the watery serum. And just in case you still don't believe he was dead, remember that he was wrapped in grave clothes. The Jews would wrap dead bodies in grave clothes and use 100 pounds of spice between the folds. They would then seal those clothes around the corpse like a mummy, the head would be wrapped after the mouth and the nose were filled with spices. The body would then be placed in a relatively airtight tomb with little fresh air available 
to breathe. Let us, let us suppose that he got through all of that. And then we have to believe that he was resuscitated in that cold tomb, took off the grave's clothes, left them folded neatly on the seat, took those hands, which had been pierced with those large Roman spikes, and placed them on the side of a stone that weighed several tons, rolled it away, and then became Chuck Norris and kicked his way over an armed Roman guard. And then walked 14 miles back to the disciples on heels that had been pierced with a Roman spike. I know what a judge would say. Objection overruled. And the second reason to believe that Jesus was risen, the tomb was empty. Remember that Dr. Luke proudly said there were many convincing proofs of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One thing that has never been disputed in 2,000 years is this. On that resurrection Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. From the very first time the tomb was reported as empty, it was not denied. Those Roman guards who were put in charge of guarding the tomb reported to the chief priest that the body was missing, and this was his reaction. Matthew 28, 12-13. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, and they said, You are to say, His disciples came by night and stole them away while you were asleep. Immediately the response was to try and explain the resurrection away. Now think about this and how absurd this cover-up was. The guards were told to spread the story that the body of Jesus had been stolen by his disciples while they were asleep. I don't know of any court in the world that would allow a witness to testify to what happened while he was asleep. We have to ask the question, why would the chief priest come up with this kind of a story? It's very simple. If the tomb was empty, if Jesus Christ was not in the grave after three days, then either man took him out of that grave or God took him out. Let us suppose that human beings took Jesus out of the tomb. Then there are only two options. Either it had to be his friends or it had to be his foes. What is the possibility that his friends stole the body. There are three obstacles. Three obstacles to that possibility. First of all, there were soldiers guarding the tomb. These soldiers were the best of the Roman army and what it had to offer. They were the special forces, if you will. Sixteen well-trained and highly disciplined men, each carrying a six-foot spear, a three-foot sword, a dagger on one side and a shield on the other. Also, it is a far stretch to think these disciples who just three days earlier with yellow streaks down their backs a mile wide who ran from Jesus like cowards would now come back and attempt to overpower these Roman guards to take the body of Jesus. Secondly, beyond the soldiers, there was the stone. A stone was rolled in front of that tomb 
that weighed many tons. It sat in a groove and rolled downward in front of the door. Modern scientists will tell you that it would take up to 20 men to move such a stone, just a few feet. Yet the New Testament tells us that the stone was picked up and moved with tremendous force at a good distance. Thirdly, there was also the seal. We are told that when the stone was rolled in front of the tomb, it was given a Roman seal. Once that stone was in place, it was sealed with sealing wax, and it was stamped with a Roman sign. Those Roman soldiers knew that if they were to sleep on their watch or if that seal was broken, they would be burned alive. Because the penalty of going to sleep or allowing a Roman seal to be broken was death. I know how a judge would rule in that instance. Objection overruled. There is another possibility. If the body was not removed by his friends, then maybe it was removed by his foes. Of course, that's absurd. His foes were doing everything possible to keep him in the tomb, not to keep him out. If they indeed did take the body, all they had to do was produce the body to show that Jesus had not risen from the dead. The truth is, his friends could not remove the body, and his foes would not remove the body. Once again, that judge would rule. Objection overruled. The third reason that Jesus was risen was lives were changed. There were a tremendous number of people who were willing to bear witness that Jesus had been seen by them alive. In fact, When you put all the scriptures together, we are told that Jesus appeared on 10 different occasions over a period of six weeks to at least 516 witnesses. He appeared in the morning, he appeared in the afternoon, and he appeared in the evening. He appeared indoors, he appeared outdoors. Now when you stop to think that each of these witnesses were brought into a courtroom and assumed the witness stand and testified for only 30 minutes each about what they had seen and heard and experienced, it would have been over 250 hours of testimony. Can you imagine what the verdict of the jury would be if over 500 witnesses testified to the same thing, corroborating one another 500 different times? May I also remind you that many of these witnesses sealed their testimony with their blood. They suffered torture. They were beheaded. They were imprisoned. They were crucified. Think about what happened to the disciples. History says that before Easter, they were dejected because they thought Jesus was dead. They were hiding behind closed doors. They were scared for their lives. And yet, after the resurrection, these same disciples went out boldly proclaiming that Jesus Christ was alive. And all but one of these disciples suffered violent deaths, yet none of them ever disavowed their testimony that Jesus Christ was the Son of God who literally and bodily appeared to them after he had died. Now, it is a psychological fact 
that no one will willingly give his life for what he knows to be a lie. Many people will die for what they think is true, such as these suicide bombers. But no one will ever die for something they know is not true. And so once again, the judge says, objection overruled. And the fourth reason to believe that Jesus rose is the church was born. There's no other explanation for the church than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no other explanation that Christians uniquely worship on Sunday, the first day of the week, than the resurrection. There's no other explanation that to be a Christian requires confession that Jesus is risen and acceptance of the resurrection. I am an attorney, as most of you know. But maybe you'd like to hear from the most successful trial attorney in the entire world. The Guinness Book of Records says that the most successful attorney in history is a man named Sir Lionel Laku. He successfully succeeded in getting 245 consecutive murder acquittals in his legal career. No one has even come close to that. This man was knighted twice by Queen Elizabeth, took his expertise in law, and then he went through the question of whether the resurrection of Jesus Christ would stand up to the test of legal evidence. And this is what he concluded. Quote, I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. End of quote. You don't have to believe in the resurrection, but you have to deny overwhelming evidence to the contrary if you reject it. Now, if I were a skeptic, I would still have one more simple question. So what? I've answered the question as to why I should believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but then I'll answer one last question, and that is, I want you to consider, why should I receive the Jesus of the resurrection? Everyone on this planet that dies will die either having rejected Jesus Christ or having received Jesus Christ. And I want to share with you four simple, brief reasons why you should receive him. First, so my sins can be forgiven. Romans 4.25 says, He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised from the dead to make us right with God. Don't miss what this verse says. Anybody can claim to die for the sins of the world. And anybody can claim that Jesus died for the sins of the world. But think about this. Jesus died on the cross, supposedly as the payment for the sins of the world. But how do I know that God accepted his sacrifice? How do I know that the check didn't bounce? How do I know he really was the son of God who could pull that off? Listen. The empty tomb is proof that God accepted that payment. 
Romans 1.4 says, And Jesus Christ our Lord was shown to be the Son of God when God powerfully raised him from the dead by means of the Holy Spirit. The second reason to receive him is so I can live a life of purpose. The vast majority of the people in this world, including the vast majority of people that live right here in this county, are not living. They're just existing. And I hope you understand that you were not put on this earth to get up in the morning, go to work, come home, watch television, go to bed, eventually retire, and then die. There is something more to life than just physical existence. God put you here for a purpose. He has a plan for your life, and it starts with you living a real life. The life that can only be found in the risen Lord, Jesus Christ. That is why Jesus said in John 10.10, My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. You can't even understand or experience what real life is all about until you find it in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. The third reason to receive him, so I can conquer death. You see, the fact that Jesus Christ came back from the grave and that Jesus Christ came out of that tomb tells me that death does not have the final say in life. Death does not have to conquer me. I can conquer death. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means that when I come to that time when my life is coming to an end and I'm giving my breath at last, when I have seen my last sunrise and I have enjoyed my last sunset, I can say with 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And the fourth reason to receive him is so I can have eternal life. You cannot receive eternal life and you cannot go to heaven unless one, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And two, you believe he was and you submit and receive him as your Lord. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and receive in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We have explored the evidence. Now you have to make a decision. Who are you going to invest your hope in for eternal life? The evidence screams out that Jesus Christ told the truth when he said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, even if he dies, lives. I've given you the evidence that demands a decision. Now you need to decide not only whether or not the evidence is true, but what are you going to do about it? Amen. The service is over. Take this week to consider what I have said this morning and share it. Pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, for here we worship and we serve the one true God. Stay healthy. Be wise. Listen to God. 
He directs that we honor the governments that he places over us, be obedient and follow the guidelines. And for that, honor is given to God. Amen?